Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up, even amidst the most economically challenging year in a century, Findlay and Hancock County once again designated America's top micropolitan community for an unprecedented seventh year in a row. And we already have a good start on 2021. But of course, economic development doesn't happen without proper infrastructure. A new report out today from the American Society of Civil Engineers highlights just how far we have to go to meet the infrastructure demands of the 21st century. Also this morning, details on this month's programs and events at the Hancock Historical Museum. And it may be basketball season, but two local powerhouse football programs have introduced new leadership for next year. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, March 3rd, 2021. WFIN News, I'm John Marshall. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast is calling for sunny skies today and a high of 53, partly cloudy tonight and a low of 30. The adjusted flood stages of the Blanchard River in Findlay went into effect this week. Senior hydrologist Sarah Jamison says Findlay is making a lot of progress with flood mitigation efforts. We're never going to be able to shut off the rain, you know, or move everyone out of the watershed. So it's a matter of coping with what, what we have in place. And I think they've done some great work there. So Finley has been benching the river and removing flood-prone properties along the stream. And the still-to-come Eagle Creek Flood Water Storage Basin just south of Finley will also help mitigation efforts. Among the changes, minor flood stage was raised from 11 to 12 feet. Statewide COVID-19 data will now be updated only twice a week instead of on a daily basis. Health officials say the change comes as Ohio transitions to a new reporting system. All coronavirus-related deaths will now be confirmed via death certificate, meaning probable deaths will no longer be included. Officials say that while it will now take longer to report fatalities, the system as a whole will be more accurate. The Arnold Classic in Columbus was one of the first major events to be canceled due to the coronavirus last year, and now the 2021 Arnold Classic cannot happen right now, but there are plans to bring it back later this year. Organizers confirm they are planning to hold the bodybuilding and strongman competitions on September 25th at Battelle Hall. Right now, those events are the only two scheduled, and attendance will be 20% of capacity, but that number could change. Organizers hope to host a full Arnold Sports Festival in 2022. That's ONN's Yolanda Harris reporting. Ohio Treasurer Robert Sprague of Finley has been chosen by the Hunt Institute to participate in the Hunt Keen Leadership Fellowship Program. Sprague says he's humbled by the opportunity to engage with leading policy minds across the country and learn more about how they can work together to increase equity and provide each child in Ohio with a quality education. More news online anytime at WFIN.com. I'm John Marshall with 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Today is Canadian Bacon day (laughs) i wondered when that was i was thinking just the other day shouldn't shouldn't it be canadian bacon day shouldn't that be running coming coming up here pretty soon today is the day canadian bacon day i want you to be happy day forget about my don't worry about your own happiness i want you to be happy day today national cold cuts day uh, National Soup It Forward Day. Soup It Forward. And I'm guessing this along the lines of I want you to be happy. It's not thinking of one's self. It's thinking of one's neighbor. You soup it forward because you want someone to be happy. 
I want you to be happy, so I'm going to soup it forward today. It is Peach Blossom Day, Stop Bad Service Day. Amen to that. And Talk in Third Person Day today. Well, I don't know about you, but Chris is very excited about that. <laughs> talk in Third Person Day today. Um, so this is uh, kind of interesting, and uh, it's something you probably already figured but may not have wanted to admit to yourself the world health organization officially officially declared on monday that it is unlikely that the coronavirus will be a non-issue by the end of this calendar year again the world health organization says it is unlikely that covid-19 will be a uh, non-issue by the end of 2021 in other words, we are going to be dealing with this for quite some time yet. Dr. Michael Ryan, head of the emergency services arm of the WHO, said in a press conference that he believes it is unrealistic to think that we are going to finish with this virus by the end of the year. Health officials have warned that cases ticked upwards last week and there are variants of the virus circulating that may render vaccines less effective. And there are some that are saying this may be one of those things that just comes around seasonally and we have to deal with. Now, the World Health Organization, at least at this, I did not see the press conference, but at least this report that I saw on the newswire about the press conference does not say that we will still be dealing, dealing with a pandemic by the end of the year, just that we won't be done with the virus. So, again, this may be a seasonal thing. It may come around. This may be another thing we have to get vaccinated for year after year after year. Although I would imagine if this is one of those things that we need to get a vaccine for every year instead of just a one-shot-and-done thing or two shots and done, you know what I mean, um, it, you know, it, might be, it might be like a seasonal flu vaccine as opposed to the polio vaccine where you get it and you're pretty much taken care of. But uh, anyway... I would imagine that if it becomes a seasonal thing, wouldn't they probably mix that together with the regular flu vaccine? So you get a COVID and a seasonal flu vaccine all in one, kind of like the MMR vaccine where there are a number of vaccines that are kind of mixed together. Anyway, um, but that's, that's what the uh, World Health Organization says. We're not going to be done with this by the end of the year, but hopefully we will be done with the pandemic part of it by the year. Here is an interesting thing. Speaking of the coronavirus, I saw this report and I thought, hmm, that's very interesting. Most of us, prior to the pandemic, uh, had maybe heard of Zoom. Maybe we had heard of the idea of video conferencing. Maybe we had FaceTimed with somebody occasionally, but we didn't do it on a regular basis before all of this started. Just in the past year, video conferencing, Zoom, and all of that has quickly become uh, certainly essential uh, in, in business and for keeping in touch with uh, friends and family and so on during the ongoing pandemic. Countless meetings uh, and events have been pushed online, uh, again, for both personal and business reasons. Uh, but using Zoom means seeing your own face close up quite a lot. And apparently this is different than looking in the mirror for some reason. I don't know if it's psychological 
or or so it's not like we've never seen ourselves before, but something about seeing ourselves on a computer screen in these Zoom meetings is apparently leading some men to start wearing makeup to cover up their facial flaws. This is a report in the New York Post. Sales of cosmetics for men are seeing a huge surge in sales. And market analytics firm Moz says, uh, said that uh, Google queries for men's makeup looks spiked by almost 80% last year over the year before. <laughs> in addition to products like moisturizer and concealer, New York-based cosmetics company Tribe is one company sells eyebrow and beard fix, which fills in gaps in uneven beards, hairlines, and eyebrows. So cosmetics for men are a thing now, thanks to Zoom. So, and I guess maybe I'm not a slave to fashion <laughs> because, and part of it is because of the business I, that I'm in. When you're in a radio, people generally can't see you. And I have used that during the pandemic to full advantage. <laughs> While most people have, you know, let their hair grow out, you know, the pandemic hairstyles, uh, growing their hair longer. I just stopped shaving a year ago. <laughs> I mean, because, uh, well, you know, we spend so much time at home. Uh, and then when you do go out, you're wearing a mask. So it covers up your, you know, three-day-old stubble. <laughs> so... I found that the exact opposite is true, but apparently cosmetics for men, makeup for men is a thing now, and I'm interesting. So uh, travel, uh, obviously, has been something that not many of us have done during the pandemic, but those who have traveled uh, simply because they couldn't stand it anymore and had to get away, or those who have business concerns that force them to travel despite the pandemic... Uh, airlines trying to hang on to whatever business they could block those center aisles for a while. And again, here is another example of people deciding that, hey, this isn't such a bad bad deal. Uh, not having to sit three across in a row in an airplane, not having someone in the middle seat. I mean, the people who sit in the middle seat never want to be there. But here's the thing. Neither do the people on either side of you. They don't want you there either. <laughs> you know? Uh, because it's just crowded, it's uncomfortable. So blocking the middle seat was a very popular thing, not just for virus prevention, but also just because it was more comfortable. So at least one airline, Emirates in this case, is making it a little bit easier to stay socially distanced on its planes moving forward, but it'll cost you. The uh, airline Emirates is based in Dubai. Um... And they are a luxury airline. So people who fly Emirates generally are not concerned about cost. Money is no object. People who fly Emirates. But they have announced something they are uh, they are offering economy class customers who already hold a confirmed booking the ability to book empty seats at the airport check-in counter. Uh, if there are any available, you can guarantee that the middle seat in your row will be empty. Uh, if empty seats are available, they will cost anywhere between $55 and $165 per seat plus tax. 
So if you really, really, really don't want somebody in the middle seat in your row, basically you can buy that seat. I suppose you could have done this all along, but Emirates is making it a little easier to do this. They say the new seat booking option has been introduced based on customer feedback, which has reportedly been focused on seeking extra privacy and space. So it's kind of interesting they're making it easier for you to do something that you could have done all along, but nonetheless. And when you are traveling with your middle seat empty, where are you going? Where will we stay? The owners of a site that once housed a top-secret missile silo have converted it into a luxury subterranean Airbnb. Uh, This is really cool. Located 35 feet underground, this is a property in Arkansas designed to withstand a nuclear explosion and launch a nuclear counterattack. Originally, it's not, that's not its purpose now. Now it's just a, just a uh, Airbnb. For $324 per night, the converted bunker is now rented out by travelers and also can be booked for private parties and corporate events. According to its Airbnb description, the original underground launch control center of a decommissioned Titan II nuclear missile complex has been converted into a completely standalone home with the luxury master bed, bath, kitchen, theater, and living space. Visitors can walk through the 110-foot cable car tunnel and try to lock the massive 6,000-pound blast door. After spending a night at the Airbnb, adventurous travelers are also encouraged to take the emergency exit and climb the 50-foot ladder to get back to the surface. So what do those who have stayed at this have to say, this place have to say? One review calls it a great place to stay and a great way to recharge. So if you're looking for some place to stay in your next travel, there you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Wednesday morning started. Take WFIN wherever you go with our updated mobile app for iPhone and Android. And now you can listen to us on your Alexa device. Get the app at WFIN.com or in the App Store or Google Play. Plus, enable Alexa by searching for WFIN under Skills and you'll soon be saying, Alexa, play 1330 WFIN. And the best part is the apps and skills are absolutely free. On the air at 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Online at WFIN.com and on your smartphone, tablet, and Alexa devices. Our cover story this morning, you know, much has been made about uh, all of the economic upheaval uh, brought about by the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, Certainly the most challenging year economically since, well, the Spanish flu pandemic a century ago. But yet, even amidst all that, Finley, Hancock County once again had a very good year, being designated earlier this week as America's top micropolitan community for an unprecedented seventh year in a row. Economic Development Director Tim Miley with us once again in the studio this morning. And uh, it's it's too bad we didn't uh, hear about this uh, a few days ago. We I were, was uh, here. And, I know. Yeah, we were talking about the uh, Cooper situation before yes. that. Uh, Amazon, yeah. uh, what we now know is Amazon uh, coming to town. And so we actually already have a, a pretty get start on 2021 it's uh no letdown when uh, actually the kind of the pipeline started filling up late 2020 mm-hmm. and uh it's it's probably fuller than ever right now uh, again what's really impressive about this i mean aside from the fact that it's seven years in a row is the fact that uh, it was during 
uh, such a challenging year as this. And I suppose uh, it was challenging for everyone. So, you know, it wasn't just something that impacted us, certainly. Uh, but it, it did present some uh, unique challenges. This yeah, past this, year. this year definitely feels not so much as a celebration, but more of a reflection mm-hmm. of looking back of, holy cow, 2020 was was insane yeah and it really was our community's ability to to pull together yesterday at fresh brew business kareem uh director of the health department was talking about our ability to pull together and be safe and we're able to coordinate with everybody and keep plants operating and keep them safe and mm-hmm. and that's what allowed this this award is based on companies investing and if we couldn't have kept our company safe they couldn't have invested. Sure, uh, and and so to that point, it it really reflects uh, on uh, where we were going into the year to start with, uh, and you know having all of those pieces of the puzzle in place to begin with. Well, everything we always talk about in economic developments, relationships with the mayor, the county commissioners, township trustees, the private sector, the not for profits, and the, the Blanche Valley Health Systems, all mm-hmm. of them played a critical role and be able to quickly mobilize back a year ago now when we had the stay-at-home order of figuring what does that mean and how are we going to help our businesses. And that went from the large automotive companies all the way down to the, the smallest of of restaurants and retail shops so it was uh everybody come together uh, obviously want to pat ourselves on the back for uh, being named the top micropolitan uh, community but really if you look out more broadly uh all of northwest ohio did very well they uh, did tiffin uh i think number four on, T- on that tiffin same was list. number four fremont was seven i believe and toledo won the uh the metro i believe two hundred thousand a million yeah people. Mid- mid-sized uh, yeah. city they were on top there so uh is is it a case where there is some competition uh, between all of uh, these uh, municipalities, uh, small and larger? Is it a case of uh, rising tide lifts all boats? I think it's a reflection of the strength of our economy is manufacturing, and that's what continue to go. I mean, you take a look. The site selection article itself highlighted GVS, who went from automotive to PPE manufacturing within five weeks. Mm-hmm. They highlighted Valfilm, who went from making plastic films for food packaging, uh, traditional construction materials, to a plastic that kills COVID on contact. And Ball Meadow invested $34 million because of the needs for aluminum in the packaging industry. So the, the region doing so well was because our region has a lot of manufacturing, which in itself is innovative and could respond to this. And fortunately, the automotive industry, after several months through the middle of the year, kind of got back on its feet and and started ramping back up too. I thought it was really interesting, uh, and the reports on the uh, Toledo TV stations, obviously, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're very excited about getting number one in the mid-size city category. And one of the things that the economic development director uh, uh, individuals in in that community uh, talked about was the ability of having spec buildings that, right. that people could uh, move right into and that goes back to what we were talking about just a couple of weeks ago with the addition of what we now know is amazon coming to Correct. town the spec building here so again it underscores so exactly spec going. building and you know we're working with uh, jerry robinson on another building mm-hmm. right now and in fact the main message we push out nationally with this site selection it really gives us an opportunity to talk to developers and that's exactly what we talked about was our ability to be proactive and, and we covered the last three or four years in our advertisement that we did was kind of an advertorial and talking about when McLean came in and Campbell's Soup and um, Auto Live Nation, which is now ZF on how we were prepared 
and how we can make that easy for site selectors because you know they have a tough job to do they got to pick the right location and get it built on time and our our messaging this year to them is we're ready and here's our track record and what how are we ready for the investment going forward because we're going to see some significant investment in the region as opportunities coming out of the pandemic so that leads to the question and we ask it uh, we've asked it every year for the past six years and i'll ask it again how do you keep this going uh moving forward into 2021 i mean what is the the game plan what is on the table well, we, we stick to our our core principles of everything we do uh, it's stakeholder engagement it's trust with people so that that's where we go around this process wheel every project we work on is what's the current state future state how do we solve a decision and with that our top priority is retention and expansion and then strategic attraction workforce downtown community planning so those are our core areas and it's, it's been a model that it's worked really well we've got everybody in the community speaking the same language on that model so that's really the, the key to our success we kind of call it the Findlay formula we sure do. and it is uh, it has worked uh, certainly for seven years in a row and no reason to believe that it won't be successful in an eighth like we said we already have a, a good start on 2021 do want to ask you about this because the timing is is perfect on this uh just today the american society of civil engineers uh, is releasing their new report on the state of american infrastructure mm -hmm. in 2021 and as we know we're going to be talking a little bit more about that here in in just a moment but i want to uh pose the question to you obviously uh that is a key part of economic development it's something that we've talked about uh, before um on the other hand some of that is outside of your control uh in terms of uh, economic uh, or uh, infrastructure uh, sure. development we know that flood mitigation is is part of that and, right. and we've got uh good news on that front with the uh raising of the uh, flood right. threshold downtown we're reporting on that right. uh, this morning we've talked about the new uh soon to come uh uh, reconstruction of the uh, interchange at County Road 99, yep. I-75. After those things, what would be next on the wish list in terms of infrastructure development? So you've got them in order priority, correct. So flood mitigation, and there's a lot coming out of Washington right now. Lots of discussion with how they're going to spend money, infrastructure bills, earmarks. So we're following that all very closely to see how that relates to flood mitigation and also how, how it relates to any other infrastructure, specifically 99 and 75. Mm -hmm. We still want to take a look at the 99-212 corridor of going through there, possible rebrand, making it a little safer. Uh, ball metal, for instance, or ingress-egress, where they're at. Of, is there an opportunity to make that a little bit better and tie into uh, distribution drive? So that entire corridor that we're working on. But I think we want to build on the steps that the city's been working on, which are kind of this quality of life infrastructure as well. If you take a look at the bike paths that are being built on Blanchard and Main Cross and out on, on 180 and 230, the, the connectivity that we're having, mm -hmm. and we'd still like to get out to Riverbend. So there's this blend between the traditional infrastructure that you think of of moving vehicles, which fortunately we're in pretty good shape with uh, I-75 just being finished up and, and with flooding, mm -hmm. is trying to take a look at this quality of life because workforce is still an issue with any company that you're talking to. And our focus beyond residential development does not even qualify for top micropolitan. And last year we had our best year in residential development that we've had in years, even amid the pandemic. But we have to have connectivity for people to live here and we want them to live here. So that, that quality of life infrastructure, I'll call it, I don't know what else to call it, mm -hmm. is something that I know that regional planning and the mayor and everybody's working on 
and we've had quite a few plans that we've taken a look at so all that tying in and creating this mobility system whether you're walking riding a bike driving a car so you take a big picture view when we talk about infrastructure uh you take a big picture view of that we do and and that's in our community planning and one other thing i'll add is what we're working on right now is the community is going to grow north and we are working with the county and the city on subdivision regulations annexation agreements revenue sharing agreements uh, water extension where do we have capacity zoning some townships are zoned some are not because we want to make sure that we're developing in the right areas based on the infrastructure that we already have in the ground and leveraging that so we actually have kind of an ad hoc committee uh, led by richard kirk and tim federici that are involved along with paul schmelzer and the mayor and several other people that we're working through and we were going to do that last year actually and all that got pushed aside with covid and mm-hmm. our focus was obviously in other places but yeah we're, we're in the midst of ramping that back up because you have this connect you have this uh, meeting point of industry <laughs> recreation and residential on the north side with the cube and everything going west of 75 and on the 99 corridor and we want to make sure that none of that's happening by chance that we're actually doing that strategically it really is interesting because uh, a lot of these uh, uh, issues when they come up in the news uh, we tend to think about them uh, in a vacuum uh, as and not in the big picture sense uh, right. like this because it all circles back to economic uh, development well, and uh, keeping the community vibrant go, and growing. go back to the spec building where zf and everything was that was a planned development there where mm-hmm. we worked with the city to extend production drive going west that wasn't just one spot yeah that was the infrastructure and that's why we still have that lane to the north of amazon now where we'll be hopefully putting up another building interesting perspective on that and again uh, here in just a bit i'm going to talk uh, more with the folks at the american society of civil engineers uh, about that uh, infrastructure report and uh, some interesting it's data uh, coming out a lot of, of a lot of money coming out of dc in the next year that will support those there's projects. going to have to be yep. yeah uh, again uh, economic development director tim miley with us uh, this morning tim thanks very much for dropping by you're welcome Well, as we talked this morning about the tremendous success that Northwest Ohio has had in attracting business investment, growth, and development over the past several years, one key component to making that happen is strong infrastructure. The American Society of Civil Engineers, as it happens, is out just today with its 2021 report card for America's infrastructure. The good news... We have uh, improved since the last one four years ago. The bad news, we are still far from where we should be, where we need to be. Tom Smith is Executive Director of General Infrastructure Policy for the ASCE. Tom, in a nutshell, where do we stand with this report card on America's infrastructure? Well, unfortunately, our infrastructure, you know, our, our bill is becoming due and it's actually overdue. And our overall grade is a C minus. That's up from a D plus, as you referenced from our last report card in 2017. But unfortunately, it still includes 11 Bs, four Cs, and two Bs. So it's certainly not something you'd be proud to see your uh, student bring home, right. and you'd be proud as a parent or a teacher. So a C minus nationally. You did break this down state by state. How does Ohio compare to that national grade? Actually, Ohio's overall GPA is also a C minus. So they look at 16 categories of infrastructure. Um, but again, there you know, includes some good news and bad news. There's a couple of Bs, but there are seven Ds in, the, in that ranking. 
So I guess we should step back. Uh, as you referenced, there are multiple types of infrastructure that you look at for this report. What are those various uh, infrastructure types and uh, why? I mean, how do you uh, decide which ones are most important? Yeah, we look at a lot of different categories of infrastructure, um, they, all the things that impact our daily lives. You know, that, that includes aviation, uh, bridges, drinking water, energy, inland waterways, hazardous waste, levees, parks, ports, rail, roads, you know, all these things, solid waste, stormwater, and transit, these things that really impact our daily lives. Uh, but they, unfortunately, we've got an investment that has been, not been kept up with over the years. And we have a lot of investment that is needed in order to maintain this infrastructure. You reference stormwater. That actually is a new category that you have added to the mix this year, correct? That's correct. Yes, stormwater was just added this year, our 17th category. And unfortunately, that received a grade of a D. Uh, you know, we've got these increasing amounts of impervious surfaces in our cities and suburbs, and that's exacerbating a lot of the urban flooding. And we've had, you know, $9 billion in damages uh, annually. And so stormwater effects really affects our, uh, the quality of the, you know, polluted runoff from pavement enters water bodies. So we've got a lot of work to, to do there. Now, as you mentioned, uh, both for the state of Ohio and nationally, uh, grades in individual categories range from B down to D. What areas uh, are, are the of the most need? I mean, what are what? Where would you uh, identify the greatest need for improvement, both uh, in Ohio and around the country? Well, looking around the country, you know, certainly tra transit is a big concern. That's the lowest grade on the national report card. That's a grade of a B minus. Um, and in, in Ohio, it actually received uh, similarly uh, the lowest score of a D minus. And in, in, in 2018, approximately 18% of Ohio's transit vehicles exceeded their useful lives and a 50%, 5% increase since 2003. So, you know, I think the COVID uh, has certainly exacerbated the problem that we had with transit. We've got 45% of Americans without transit access, and we've got an aging system, $176 billion in transit backlog. So that's clearly one area of concern. But there are many others in the D range uh, that, that are going to need focus. Such as? Well, uh, if you look at uh, aviation, we got that's a D plus. Now, that's actually an improvement. That's up from a D in the 2017 report card. Dams also got a D. Um, hazardous waste, a D plus, inland waterways, a D plus, uh, levees, a D, public parks, a D plus, roads, a D, schools, a D plus, uh, stormwater was the D, and wastewater, a D plus. So each of these areas that impact our quality of life do need investment. And as we said, so much of that is dependent on, we talk about uh, attracting uh, business investment, growth and development year over year. Uh, these are critical uh, to making those things happen. Here's the $50,000 question. How do we get there? Obviously, uh, there is still much work to be done, as the report card outlines. And honestly, none of this should be all that surprising. We've known for years, particularly in transit, that this problem exists, and no one really disputes that. The issue has been coming up with the funding, the resources to address those issues. So how do we get it done? Absolutely. And, you know, we unfortunately, we often find ways to get it done after we have a disaster, after our infrastructure disappears because we have energy blackout or because a water system failure. Um, 
we need to now be more proactive and not reactive because when we fail to act, we know that it's costing every American family $3,300 a year because of these deficiencies. You know, time sitting in traffic, potholes, power outages, water main breaks, and the added cost for goods and services. So how do we pay for it? it requires an investment from the federal state and local government, as well as the private sector. And it really starts with national leadership at the top, setting the tone and a culture where we prioritize our infrastructure. It's absolutely essential for our quality of life, and it requires investment at all levels. But ultimately, all of us need to pay for infrastructure. All of us who use infrastructure need to contribute and pay for it and appreciate it and recognize how important it is to our quality of life. And of course, uh, to go along with the attack, uh, you talk about the uh, cost of uh, the state of our infrastructure now and the added cost. It also uh, is much more expensive to address the issues after the fact rather than being proactive, as is, is the case with so many things. Again, uh, Tom Smith is executive director of general infrastructure and policy for the American Society of Civil Engineers. Their 2021 report card for America's infrastructure uh, is out this week. It is on your website for those who want to look more closely at the numbers, right? Absolutely. That's on our, report, our website at ASCE.org. And we will link up to that on our webpage as well. Tom, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you for covering this important subject. Time now to find out what's happening in history. Details on this month's programs and events. The Hancock Historical Museum. Sarah Sisser is with us on the line this morning. Sarah, you've got some uh, big news going to be uh, reopening this weekend. uh, The weekend hours uh, beginning this weekend, right? That's right. We'll be reopening for our Sunday hours. So we'll be open on Sundays from 1 to 4. And we have uh, previously been keeping the museum closed on the weekends during the pandemic. Um, But I think we've finally reached a point where a lot of our volunteers have been vaccinated and can come back and help us on the weekends. And we're excited to be able to have that opportunity again for folks who might not be otherwise able to get into the museum during the week. So Sundays from 1 to 4 starting this weekend. And this weekend we have um, some special activities. Admission will just be $1 on Sunday. And we're going to be doing some things in collaboration with the um, Finley-Hancock County Public Library's Community Reads Week. So especially for children, they can come in and we'll have several crafts set up for them. Um, We'll have a book scavenger hunt throughout the museum. (laughs) And then throughout the month of March, um, if the children read at least six books, they can create a paper chain with those books that they've read. They can bring that back to the museum before the end of the month, and we'll give them a free book. Uh, as a prize in return. So we're trying to promote literacy and um, promote the opportunity to come out and see what's new at the Hancock Historical Museum. That is awesome. So good to hear that the museum is going to be open uh, beginning this Sunday. And uh, we we talked about it, uh, I I think, last month, uh, some of what is new at the museum to see. Uh, Kind of give us a recap of some of that. Sure. Well, we have one new exhibit in particular that we're we're really excited about, and that is called Love Letters, A Jazz Age Romance, and it's based on a donation of love letters that we received um, from the Kennedy family. Earl Bill Kennedy, as he was known, um, wrote a series of love letters to his then fiance, who was living in Cleveland, and in those letters, he relays so much about 
um, just the history of Finley and everyday life in Finley during the 1920s. So we turned that into a beautiful exhibit that you can see in person at the museum. Um, and then there is also a, a digital component to that exhibit as well. So um, while you're seeing the in-person exhibit, there are some QR codes that you can use your smartphone to get some additional information and even listen to recordings of those love letters. Or if you're not able to get to the museum right now or you're not comfortable um, coming to the museum in person, you can get all of the content from our website with that digital component. So that's at HancockHistoricalMuseum.org. That is really awesome because uh, I, I think the everyday history is the most fascinating stuff. Uh, I mean, yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, we've been talking about the fact that that's often the stuff that is left out of the history books, the mm-hmm. things that we as historians really want to know, um, but just at the time, you know, didn't have the importance to really um, rank to be put in a history book or yeah. even photographs of those things. So to be, to be able to get that, like, nuanced every everyday detail is, mm-hmm. I think, really intriguing for people. To that uh, to that end, there is some of that uh, in this week's uh, Brown Bag Lunch Lecture. The uh, monthly uh, Brown Bag Lecture uh, has to do with uh, what Hancock County and the Great War. That's right. So same time period, essentially the same time period, a little bit earlier, but we will be... Uh, Ron Ammons, who's a great local historian, will be joining us again for our Brown Bag Lecture this month, tomorrow. And this month's lecture is um, virtual only. We hope to resume our in-person Brown Bag Lectures next month in April. But if you would like to join us for that lecture, um, you can give us a call today at the museum, 419-423-4433, or again, visit our website at HancockHistoricalMuseum.org, and you'll have all the information you need to register. It's free to join us uh, virtually tomorrow. We just need you to register in advance so you can get the right link to join us via Zoom. But Ron is so knowledgeable, and most um, recently he's been doing research for a new book that he wrote um, called Hancock County in the Great War. And so he'll be... um, sharing some of that research with us about Hancock County during the First World War. Yeah, uh, I, again, we've read, we know so much uh, about the, the the history of the war, but again, this is the, the personal uh, history, the local history uh, that kind of juxtaposed against all of the uh, you know, major events of the war that we, that we know about. That's right. And if you've not heard Ron speak before, he does such a wonderful job of relaying those personal stories. And I think that's what really intrigues him as well. So I'm certainly excited um, to hear his perspectives and his research tomorrow. That's at noon tomorrow. So over the lunch hour. And again, it's free to join. We just need you to register in advance. Okay. So uh, the Brown Bag uh, Lecture is going to be a virtual affair. However, later this month, hopefully... uh, Assuming that all goes well, looking at resuming the... uh, Uh, the uh, uh, classic movie night event. That's right. So we're excited to be resuming that activity as well. We are going to keep attendance um, limited for in-person so that we can still socially distance, and we do expect attendees to wear masks. Again, we would like you to make a reservation just so we can limit attendance, but it is free to join us. And the date for that is Friday, March 19th. It'll start at 7 p.m. Again, if you've not joined Classic Movie Night before, it's great fun. We have um, refreshments that we'll have available, popcorn. We have some great historical context before the film. Um, And then there's a discussion that you can join afterwards if you like. And this month's movie will be Top Hat. So we're excited to be um, once again screening movies in person. Again, free to join, but just give us a call or uh, check it out on the website at HancockHistoricalMuseum.org to make your reservation in advance. And what a great film uh, that is. Uh, Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers. I mean, it doesn't get any more classic than that. That's right. We're looking forward to it. Uh, Classic Movie Night has been a really popular program for us for the last 
five years or so. And last year, um, unfortunately, we were able to get, uh, we weren't able to do too many in person, but we mm-hmm. were able to do a great outdoor drive-in theater style um, classic movie night. So maybe we'll look at trying to do something like that again, um, at least one month this summer. But again, happy to have people back in the museum in person. We're just taking all the necessary precautions, but hopefully things are starting to resume some right. level of normalcy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. seeing a light at the end of the tunnel, as we've been saying. And uh, again, that to that end, you also have uh, some of the other uh, familiar things planned for later this year that, again, cross our fingers, will come off without a hitch. The historic homes tour, the uh, front porch tea in June, uh, the uh, craft cocktail competition, and, of course, Oktoberfest later in the year. So already making plans for uh, some resumption of normal activities. We certainly hope so. We really missed, and I think the community missed a lot of those events last year. So we're really hoping um, come the second half of 2021, we'll be able to do some of those larger in-person events. So stay tuned. All right. Uh, again, uh, Sarah Sisser of the Hancock Historical Museum with us. The Brown Bag Lunch Lecture is tomorrow. That's a virtual affair, classic movie night later on this month. And as you were mentioning, uh, weekend hours uh, resuming on uh, this Sunday, right? One, one to four, did you say? That's right. Sundays from 1 to 4 and Wednesday through Friday, 10 to 4 at the Hancock Historical Museum. Very good, Sarah. Thanks very much for the update. We appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's report on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. And I got to tell you, it's kind of a light day in the broken news today. Not a whole lot here. Um, this is probably one of the fastest ways to ensure that you get into trouble. Pennsylvania state troopers say they were called on Saturday about a dispute at a home in South Fork Borough. Uh, when they arrived, they found 51-year-old Loretta Woodruff to be, quote, substantially intoxicated, unquote. So you know something is going <laughs> to, something interesting is going to happen. You show up and the, uh, person in question is substantially intoxicated then it's probably going to wind up in the broken news um they uh, say police say that uh, ms wood uh uh that ms wood was uh, injured and claimed she was punched by a man another man at the home but troopers say her injuries were not consistent with being struck uh they say she had a head injury and they were escorting her out of the home to get medical treatment when she said Quote, watch this and kicked a trooper in the chest. <laughs> watch this, she said, and kicked a trooper <laughs> in the chest. So while she was being escorted to get medical treatment, and that was it initially, now she has been charged with aggravated assault. So, <laughs> uh, again, when the words substantially intoxicated are uh, in the report, you know it's probably going to end up in the broken news. Probably one of the fastest ways to get yourself in trouble right there. You don't want to get in trouble in South Carolina. Apparently, uh, state legislators in the Palmetto State, uh, there is a push on to add the firing squad as a method of execution there. They're going to reinstate the firing squad, at least if some legislators get their way. The state Senate voted to approve it uh it, it voted to approve including it along with the electric chair as alternatives to lethal injection that's right bring back old sparky <laughs> right there 
and the firing squad. Uh, the uh, bill makes it so that if, if injection drugs are un- unable to be obtained for uh, lethal injection, uh, then the death penalty would instead move forward by either firing squad or or electrocution. Why not bring back the guillotine <laughs> while you're at it? It just seems very draconian, the firing squad. <laughs> well, bring back the... We'll hang you by the neck until dead. Um, how many old westerns do you hear that? Um, the uh, state newspaper uh, there in Columbia, South Carolina, says the uh, state house is looking at a similar bill, but it does not include the firing squad. So that just seems very draconian. To reinstate the firing squad of all things. I can see maybe electrocution, but the firing squad. My goodness. Mm couple of other uh, items here in the broken news out of the international file. Uh, this is amazing. And I saw the photos on this on Saturday. Uh, the Coast Guard in England uh, was called in and scolded a family of three for pitching their tent on the Cleveland Way in North Yorkshire. Um, this is along the coast of uh, England. Essentially, they were camped out on the edge of a cliff, literally, and I saw the pictures of this, literally on the edge of a cliff. Their tent was was pitched just inches away from a 280-foot drop, and this in an area known for its landslides. <laughs> that just doesn't seem like a very smart thing to do. Uh, Coast Guard's Uh, responded to the scene, finding two adults and a child in the tent on the edge of a cliff in an area known for landslides. Not the brightest campers in the bunch. Um, The 27-year-old woman and 30-year-old man have also, just (laughs) to add to their misery, not only were they told to get away from the cliff, uh, they also were fined for breaching coronavirus rules uh, by camping out, so not allowed to go camping. So we'll cite you for that while we're at it as well. Kind of crazy on the edge of a cliff. You got to see the pictures of this. Look it up. Uh, it is truly amazing. And speaking of the coronavirus, one other virus-related story here: the Japanese government has asked that Chinese officials no longer give anal COVID-19 swab tests to their citizens when they land in China. (laughs) I didn't know that was a thing. Uh, Embassy officials say some Japanese people reported great psychological pain from having to undergo that particular form of testing. Uh, China began anal swab testing as a way to combat potential coronavirus surges, claiming that viral traces remain in fecal matter matter, uh, longer than... You know, they test you in the your uh, nasal swabs. They say, this is a better way of doing it. Well, better for who? I don't know. But uh, it is not known how many Japanese citizens have been subject to anal swabbings. But the U.S. has also requested that the test no longer be given to American diplomats and others going to China. So, I got to agree. I think... <laughs> I think I'd almost rather face the uh, firing squad. There you go. That is uh, today's broken news report. We now return you 
to your regularly scheduled programming. Today's report on the odd and unusual side of the news, a service more or less of Hancock County Veteran Services. You can help recognize outstanding teachers in Findlay and Hancock County. Nominate a current teacher who made a difference in your life for the Findlay Rotary Club's Golden Apple Awards. Place your nomination online at FindlayRotary.org. Nomination deadline is April 2nd. Please promote the work, dedication, and achievements of all teachers by nominating an excellent teacher for the Golden Apple Awards. This message provided by WFIN. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. We mentioned a little bit earlier the World Health Organization said on Monday that it is unlikely that the coronavirus will be a non-issue by the end of 2021. We may not be in all-out pandemic mode by the end of this year, but it will not be completely a non-issue either. That being said... Um, A new poll finds that Americans are feeling more hopeful about the pandemic. Nearly half of those surveyed, 48% uh, in this uh, poll published uh, yesterday from Axios and Ipsos, uh, 48% say they are feeling hopeful about the pandemic. That is more than double the 20% who said they felt hopeful over the course of the past year. So on average for the past year it's been about 20 percent and now uh, it is more than double that nearly half of americans most almost certainly that is due at least in part to the ongoing vaccination campaign um the percentage feeling hopeful rose to 61 percent among those who have gotten at least one dose of the vaccine additionally one-third of the respondents said that they think they will be able to return to something like their pre-pandemic normal lives, some semblance of normalcy will return within six months or less. One-third, say, six six months or less, they can get back to normal. And uh, that number was just 26% last week. Uh, Obviously, in some states, most notably Texas and, what is it, Mississippi, Uh, They've uh, repealed all of their restrictions on public mask wearing, limitations on public gatherings, uh, restaurant uh, restrictions. All of that have been lifted in the Lone Star State. I think Mississippi was the other uh, state that has done that. So in some cases, you're certainly seeing a the ability to get back to normal now how soon consumers will respond to that remains to be seen but a lot more optimism amongst americans that there is a light at the end of the tunnel finley with a big win last night over st francis uh 53 44 was the uh, final now they get the Knights' crosstown rivals St. John's in the district final. What? Out of the frying pan into the fire. That'll be Friday night, and we'll have it for you. 640 is airtime here on WFIN. Tonight on the Coach's Corner, to get thoughts from uh, Trojan head coach Jim Rookie on the St. Francis game, looking ahead to the uh, district final. It may be basketball season, but also on the Coach's Corner tonight, A couple of local powerhouse football teams have introduced new leadership for next year. John Marshall speaks to the new head coaches at Findlay and Liberty Benton tonight on the Coach's Corner. Here are some of the comments 
from Stefan Adams on his taking over the helm at Findlay High School. As you leave Riverdale, what are your thoughts on uh, the Falcons? Uh, it was a wonderful time during a crazy time of uh, the world. Enjoyed it. Loved the people over there. Uh, they have a great administration over there. Uh, and and they're, they're, built, they're built and ready for some success moving forward as well, too. So I uh, really enjoyed it. I uh, look forward to seeing them move forward and, and see what they do. You're quite familiar with the Finley City Schools and Trojan football. I am. Yep, very familiar. Uh, you know, since I've been here, you know, I'll tell you the kids that are currently going to be seniors, uh, those are the kids that were, were my, first, my first class that I had over at Chamberlain Hill. Uh, so very familiar with the kids, uh, the community, uh, and all the, the, the positive and, and potential that's there that is starting to really uh, move itself forward. So before you took the job as the head coach of the Finley Trojans, I'm sure you started formulating some thoughts on how you would proceed. And now that you have that job, those have got to be growing at a tremendous rate. What do you hope to bring to the Finley High School football program? Yeah, I want to build a, you know, a, a championship standard. And when I want to say a championship standard. I want to say, you know, how we approach the day, uh, how we approach the classroom, um, how we approach the community. Uh, I want us to be winners on and off the field. And I think for me, it's really growing what was started last year and has been uh, really uh, a budding giant. Uh, but ultimately, I want to bring people together. Um, I want to bring this community together. I want us to be strong. I want us to be fierce. I want us to paint the town blue and gold uh, and just have a, an environment where it's very caring, loving, uh, and everybody wants to look out for each other. And that's here. Uh, I just want to strengthen that through the game of football. The new Finley High School football coach is Stefan Adams. Congratulations on the hire and the very best of luck to you and your team. Uh, we're looking forward to it, and go Trojans. Meanwhile, for the Eagles of Liberty Benton, it's a case of everything old is new again as Scott Garlock re-takes uh, the helm of the football program there, gets the uh, head coaching job that he relinquished to Tim Nichols about 15 years ago. How does it sound to have that title attached to your name again? After being assistant for so long now, it is a little bit to get used to, but... Uh... I'm real excited about it. What made you decide to jump back into the fray as the head coach? Well, my kids are involved, and when your kids are involved, I I think there adds a little bit of uh, energy to that, but it's not just my kids. There's great families, great coaches, uh, great kids other than my own that I'm excited um, to coach and and be around, and um, just, just a lot of excitement with everything. Now, every coach has his own way of doing things, and what will your approach be as you step back into the head coaching role? Um, It is going to be a little different, because when we first uh, came here as a group, we were, uh, I I think it was 10 years before there was a winning season. Now I'm coming to a group that has won a lot of games over the last 10, 15 years. So it is going to be a little bit different. You know, we really focused on that first group that we had, just getting them tougher and getting them to buy in, you know, making football important. You know, football is important here now, and you know, there's a couple little things I'd like to tweak. Hopefully we can maintain the success that Coach Nichols has had. What do you foresee for the coming season? You know, I think the strength of our team is going to be our offense and defensive line, and, and they're going to have to uh, help some of those young kids gain some experience and develop as we go, and hopefully they can kind of carry us. Well, here's hoping that uh, you don't have to deal with COVID come the fall and any other issues. Amen to that. (laughs) Comments from uh, Scott Garlock and uh, 
Stephen Adams as they take over the Liberty Benton and Findlay football programs, respectively. The full interviews with both of those new head coaches tonight on the Coach's Corner right here on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com at 95.5 FM. 6 o'clock is airtime with uh, host John Marshall. And that is our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net. You can also connect with us on our social media channels. Email us uh, anything that you have to share. Directly sign up for our daily email newsletter and more, all at goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow, healthcare workers and EMTs have been called the frontline heroes of the pandemic. Behind the Mask is a new book about their experience from a perspective the rest of us will never see. We'll speak with the author and EMT himself. So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.